for the Indians. One run on, let's see, one hit. That's all we got. One goddamn hit. You can't say goddamn on the air. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. From the Gateway Lounge in Sioux Falls, it's Nobody's Listening Anyway. Here are your hosts, John Gaskins and Matt Zimmer. All right. Uh, it's not not uh, Rubik's Cube to figure out what we're going to touch on this week. There was the Super Bowl last night. We can apply some things that we may have learned by the Bucks winning it, the Chiefs losing it, that uh, you could take to the Minnesota Vikings situations of things, if they'll ever get back to a Super Bowl and in Vikings fans Matt Zimmer's life and but and I, as a Chiefs fan now enjoying the thrill of victory last year after having a Vikings like existence my whole life and uh losing it this year which was uh that was an uh, that was an obnoxiously horrible game it was a nightmare to watch but uh I'll, so I'll ask you this Zim as a Vikings fan if uh this say next year and this is extremely hypothetical, they go to the Super Bowl and they win it. It's the first time in your life they've been, and uh, because you were not born, I, I believe you, yeah, you hadn't been born yet when they had already made their four Super Bowls in the 70s. Say they go and they win, and they have a dramatic uh, win in the last couple minutes. You know, as a, whatever you'll be at the time, 41, 42-year-old man, how, uh, a team that has given you so much heartbreak your whole life, how... Can you imagine what kind of emotions would you truly be feeling? I don't know. I think uh, I've reached a point in my life where it wouldn't be as big a deal as it would have been earlier. Uh, and I know that sounds kind of snooty, and I don't mean for it to. I, I hate to sound like one of those guys that like, oh, I've reached a point in my life where sports doesn't mean as much. It's, it's not that. It's just, you know, um, when I was in my teen years and into my 20s, the twins and Vikings were a huge, huge, not just part of my life, but like oftentimes my general happiness sort of mm -hmm. revolved around how they were doing. You right. Know? And maybe it was somewhat like that with you with the Huskers and some other things, but, mm -hmm. and it just, you know, it gets to a point where it's not like that anymore. And, uh, you know, I, I think maybe I, I, I realized that, or maybe that was really crystallized for me, uh, the day of the Minneapolis miracle. Um, you were in my living room when yeah. that happened. And you might remember, like, I didn't react at all. And now part of that was sort of a sense of disbelief. Uh, and also, you know, like going from such a low to a high, because I'd been pretty confident the Vikings were going to win that game. Uh, and then all of a sudden you get to the end, it's like, oh my God, they're really going to shit this down their leg. They're going to yeah. lose this game. And I was just so bummed about it. So, so clearly they still have the ability to, you know, it still matters to me because I was really down in the moment right before that touchdown. Mm -hmm. um, but I just remember when they scored that touchdown, you jumped up off the couch like, oh my god, oh my god, and I was kind of like, whatever. And <laughs> yep. Part of it was because I, you know, was waiting for there to be a flag or something. Yeah. Uh, but then many hours later, I actually wrote a column for it that night, and I and I mentioned this in the column. Like, it kind of bummed me out at how I didn't take a moment to enjoy that as much as I should have. You know, it wasn't till later when you're watching all the replays and the the best part was seeing all the the clips on Twitter and YouTube of, of various people around the world celebrating that win, you know, the, the, the clip from the sideline at the stadium, you know, the, the sports bars, people's living rooms, all of that. Um, I was kind of like, geez, you know, that was such a, th this is literally 
this is what sports is all about. You know, these, these visuals, these moments of, of people having these huge emotional celebrations. And I had had one of these moments and kind of not, you know, maybe taken advantage of it to the degree that I should have. So I don't know if that means I don't, like I said, I don't think it means I don't care anymore, but that moment is pretty close to, I, I think what winning a Super Bowl would be like, it might even been better because, you know, it was so uh, unexpected. It, mm-hmm. it, it so came out of nowhere, like a Super Bowl, most of the time, I mean, to my not, we know there's only been a couple of plays that a couple of Super Bowls that came down to the, the very last play and still not knowing who's going to win. Um, I, I don't know. I think there would just, if anything, be a sense of relief, yeah. you know, just in that, Oh, I don't have to listen to this shit anymore. You know, from people making funny or, or just, you know, the, the general, you know, self-loathing of being a Vikings fan, I guess that would be over to a little, to, to some degree. Uh, I don't know. It's a good question. And, and I ask myself a lot more, these days if i ever really think it's going to happen because uh when they blew it in 98 (laughs) it was kind of like okay that's the best team they've ever had if that team can't do it they're probably never going to do it but then two years later they're already in the nfc championship game again and even though they choked royally that game probably the most embarrassing loss in franchise history that kind of told me like okay they're going to have more chances because that team wasn't even that great you know, and I was like, okay, if, if this team can come one game from the Super Bowl, I'm probably going to at some point see the Vikings in the Super Bowl in my lifetime. But then, you know, 2009, just a couple years ago, mm. they keep getting close. And I, I'm starting to wonder, maybe maybe they won't. Maybe I'll never see it. And if they don't, that's okay. I'm not going to regret being a Vikings fan. It's been a fun thing for me to share with my friends and family. And I love football. Uh, and I wouldn't, pro- and I love the NFL. And I don't think I would be as invested in it if I didn't have a rooting interest. I need a team to be my team for me to root for. So very, very, very long answer. I don't know how I'd react, but I'm not expecting to find out. <laughs> okay. Well, fair enough. Well, so cause so cause I got to I got to live it. And again, Vikings Chiefs history is very very similar. In fact, the Chiefs had really had fewer experiences go- going to the championship game than the Vikings have had uh, when it came to pre-2018, two years ago, uh, when they took on the Patriots. And I, I remember watching that game in your basement, uh, the Chiefs and the Patriots and uh, New England winning that in overtime, the Chiefs never getting to touch the ball. Great shootout, blah, blah, blah. And um, and. It was I I I had not been emo- that emotionally invested in the Chiefs for a long time. I had been watching plenty of games and plenty of playoff games. They had had a nice run for about three or four years with Alex Smith, where they were good, not great, can't beat the Patriots, can't reach the AFC Championship game. Shrug your shoulders, same old Chiefs, whatever. You just kind of expect to slip on the banana peel. Lucy takes the ball away from Charlie Brown, all that stuff, and then um, you know, and then they had this epic clash with the Patriots. And, um, I, you know, I, I, it was like, I was in some weird twilight zone watching this game. Like they might actually, holy shit, they might actually do this and they lose and it was bad. It sucked, but it was kind of like, it feels like this guy's like 23 years old, this Mahomes guy, he's, he's the game changer. And, uh, and then what do you know the next year they, they, they win it all with him. And that Super Bowl though, that was incredibly, again, up until that point, I really and you've questioned my genuine whatever investment or emotional investment in the Chiefs, uh, which I have had my whole life. But um, 
same thing. You, you you started off your long answer with the whole, you just get a little older, it just doesn't quite mean as much. It doesn't mean it doesn't mean nothing. Right. But it doesn't mean as much. And so uh, when the Chiefs won last year, first of all, the, it was a weird feeling because Chiefs are kind of used to being the underdog or the team that usually screws up, but usually the underdog, usually because they didn't have uh, a quarterback for the ages. That's who usually wins the Super Bowl, especially the last 20 or 25 years, most of the time. And now they do. And so then you're supposed to you're supposed to beat the Niners and win that game. And Kansas City didn't play very well the whole game. And uh, so it was a real miserable experience. And yet the whole time you're kind of like, well, you got Patrick Mahomes. You'll pull this out. You don't need any luck. And they did. And he did. And um, I was with Gilbert, my husband, who was rooting against the Chiefs just to be on my nerves. And uh, his ex-wife's cousin Robert who's another Chiefs fan and it was just me and Robert I had never watched a game with Robert but we kind of bonded because we were Chiefs fans but he like we didn't know we didn't know each other that well so we didn't know if we want, needed to hug in the moment when <laughs> the big play happened because I'm at least with one other Chiefs fan I can celebrate this with him and it was it was a big moment we're like oh okay they won but we sh- we they should have won Anyway, that was close. And then it was kind of after that, it was kind of like, well, that's it. That's it. Okay, that's it. You know, it's not like, I, yeah. When you talk about all those moments that people send around the globe on social media of people, of, of, you know, of fathers and sons and families crying together, uh, it, it, just, it just wasn't that it because I don't think there's anything wrong with saying they're, they're just – you live a life when you get to be in your early 40s where a lot of other things happen than your sports teams going through these peaks and valleys, you know, and you just don't ride it emotionally as as you did when you were 12 or 13. And um, so because so, that was going to lead to my next question for you. Uh, we're not really playing ping pong today. We're playing really slow clay court tennis here, but... Um, because you turn that back around, and now the Chiefs lose uh, the Super Bowl, but they lose the year after they win it. I mean, they were favorites, and it would have been nice to see them win. But I, you know, at some point in the game, I realized that they're not coming back. Uh, this is not happening. But oh, they won it last year. Oh well. Even if they never win it again, they they won it last year. Even if they should, like the Packers for thirty years with Favre and Rodgers, win multiple times, and they don't. Oh well. They at least did that last year. The sting, the sting isn't there as much. So that that's and so I'm asking you uh, to put yourself in your shoes again. Like, if the Vikings go all the way and lose the Super Bowl, will that be devastating? If they go all the way and win the Super Bowl, you kind of described how you think you would feel, how how emotional it would be compared to your your relative youth. And uh, but if they Again, if they won the first year, went back the next year and lost, it's just not, I just wasn't really in disarray. A, because I'm a grown person and it just doesn't affect me as much. And B, they won it last year. Well, maybe I can answer this with an anecdote. Um, You know, my dad is a Vikings fan, which is why I'm a Vikings fan, essentially. And he was alive for all four Super Bowl losses. Uh, The first one, first couple, he, he was you know, a, a young kid, but he still remembers them, like, like all four of them. And uh, I think he was a teenager for their last one. Anyway, we were talking about the Vikings once many years ago, might've been ar- around uh, the year of the Favre loss. And uh, I was, I made some comment to the effect of, you know, well, I'd just like to see him in a Super Bowl 
you know, even if they lose it, I, I would just like to have a rooting interest in this game for once in my life. And he was like, Oh God, no. He's like, I don't want to see him lose another Super Bowl again. He's <laughs> like, he's like, if they make another one, they better win it. Cause I can't take five. And I was like, really? Like, really? Especially given that it's been, you know, 45 years since the last one. Like, have those wounds really not healed in 45 years that you still, uh, I mean, but I've asked, I've, I've told that story to enough other people and not everyone react. Like, some people are like, yeah, that makes sense. I get that. So, you know, that, that, that kind of tells you where I'm at. I would like to see them in the Super Bowl. You know, a couple of years ago when they were playing the Eagles for the chance to go to the Super Bowl in their home field, um, I fully expected them to win that game. I really did. I shouldn't say fully, uh, but just based on, you know, Minneapolis miracle and it, it kind of seemed like it, they were a team of destiny and maybe it's finally going to happen, but I expected them to lose to the Patriots in the Super Bowl. It was interesting to me that the Eagles won that game as handily as they did. I thought the Patriots were going to kill them, uh, but I, I was very much on board with watching the Vikings get slaughtered by new England in the Super Bowl. I wanted to see them make it. Mm. Um, if, so if I ever see them win it, and then the next year go back and lose it, that's gravy at that point. I'd be happy just to see them in it, and if they lose it, that would suck. But, you know, that would essentially be the highlight for me, other than, like I said, maybe the the, the miracle, Stefan Diggs. That, yeah. Right now, that's that's what I got. It's yeah. the, the best Vikings moment I can really think of. Okay, so can you um, – can, so can you uh, – you, you, you've, again, mentioned in the past – you're not some for some reason feeling genuinely like I genuinely am that into the Chiefs, but now can you? I think we're on the same wavelength here as far as again similar histories of these teams, and then you get okay, then you get to the finish line, you get to the Super Bowl, and uh, I you know what what you are picturing yourself seeing yourself and what would happen is pretty much what happened to me. And same thing for the next year when my team loses the game. I have no idea if like the Chiefs would have lost last year. I can't imagine me saying I would just be devastated. I couldn't, you know, back when I had to go to work the next day. Oh, God, I have to go to work the next day. And, you know, mm-hmm. like, it's just, okay, so the Chiefs didn't, so the Chiefs didn't win the Super Bowl. It's, it's okay. It's, I think it probably depends a little bit on how it goes, though, too. Like, yeah. if you get beat 63 to nothing, that's got to be a kick in the nuts. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah. or if you do what Atlanta did, you know, blow a twenty-five point lead, yeah, or, that would you know, be, yeah. a, a terrible boner at the end of the game. Any of those things would probably, yeah, that would probably, you know, well, because I mean, even though it was the NFC Championship game, uh, the '98, the loss to the Falcons, like, and again, I was eighteen years old, nineteen years old, something mm-hmm. like that. Um, I was a freshman in college, so definitely much, much different priorities in my life at that time. But still, that one hurt so bad. Like, it took me a long time to get over it. Hmm. I remember the first few days after that loss, um, I kept having dreams about the game. I would have a dream, like, that uh, the NFL overturned it, that they found out that the Falcons, you know, were using steroids or something, and the Vikings were still going to be in the (laughs) Super Bowl. And I would wake up on, like, a random Wednesday morning, Oh God, they're in the Super Bowl! Oh wait, no, they're not. And uh, that was the—I've never not watched the Super Bowl, but I remember that was the one that I had the least like enthusiasm for watching. I didn't—I just was like, and especially when Denver beat the crap out of Atlanta. You know, the Vikings—I'm convinced would have beat Denver handily in that game. Mm. I mean, that was that was really really hard to get over. So, you know, and, and I think again because it wasn't just that they lost the NFC Championship game, the circumstances, you know. Yeah. This offense that was unstoppable suddenly going into the fetal position and Randall Cunningham, who was the MVP of the league that year, playing so timidly and, and terribly. And Gary Anderson, 
I don't hold Gary Anderson nearly as responsible as most people do, but he still should have made that fucking kick. And if he had, the Vikings would be in a Super Bowl. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, yeah. This, this is get, this is getting dark, John. I don't it, know. It is. Oh, this is fun. <laughs> Good. Well, I'm in somewhat of a dark place because the Chiefs lost, uh, and it was uh, it it, it uh, just if you want to apply any sort of weight to um, looking looking into my particular favorite team and, and the lot they're in because I, a lot of people are happy today, even though Tom Brady gets Super Bowl seven and uh, still a cyborg and, and wins everything. Uh, I think a lot of people are happy because the Chiefs were becoming a little too uh, good and flashy for everyone's own good. And, and uh, Patrick Mahomes was, it, it felt like he couldn't do anything wrong. And that's, that was another weird thing about this whole ascension to the point of the last three years as a Chiefs fan, who, again, the existence of my team has been very similar to your favorite team. Good, not great most of the time. And uh, there's different different ways, different means, but the same results whenever the, there's a really big game. Um, and uh, for the Chiefs, by the way, it was a lot. Yeah, Vikings have had colossally heartbreaking uh, moments at the end of games where the fans thought they were going to win. The Chiefs over time... Uh, in my life, just you know, they laid an egg thirty-one to three at Buffalo, the one time they had made the AFC Championship game in my life until two years ago. And then other playoff game disappointments, they were like they may have been the number one seed, and they again they just kept laying eggs, they just kept laying steaming piles of turds on the field. They weren't always blown out, but they were supposed to be the better team. And Marty Schottenheimer's teams, and a couple times Andy Reid's teams, just found a way to choke. And in, in between that, for about fifteen years, there was a whole lot of nothing going on. The team wasn't very good. That's probably why I lost some of the lust because they, they really didn't have a very good team. They never had a very good quarterback. Then they get a great quarterback, and it's like everything's so much easier. It's like, oh, this is all you need to do. You just go out and get a generational quarterback, and uh, it doesn't seem that hard to, to reach the Super Bowl and to win it. Um, but then you flip the script to last night, and things get dark again um, because uh, the, 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 way I look at, the way I look at the Chiefs not being able to repeat and uh, Patrick Mahomes, not, not everything he does uh, turns to gold, uh, is that it, for two years now, uh, they, they, there have been a lot of games where they just kind of messed around. They're so good. Uh, they, you know, they, I mean, they're, they're, they're famous for these, these huge comebacks, these double-digit comebacks, even in the playoffs, even in the Super Bowl, double-digit comebacks. And they have the firepower to do it to the point, to the point where like in the Buffalo game in the AFC Championship game, and then at a couple points, I didn't fire off the tweet. I thought about it, but I didn't, and I'm glad I didn't. But, you know, the Chiefs fans can joke to themselves, oh, we got them right where we want them. Because this is when, all of a sudden, it gets comfortable for Patrick Mahomes and that offense. Because um, whether it's they're complacent, they're so good they're, they're complacent, or they need something like that to really, to, for Andy Reid to pull out all the stops and for them to make all the big plays. Um, you know, you, you need to get your ass in gear and turn it up a notch. Okay, um, here it is. And they didn't have it. It was defended too well. They didn't have the blocking. And it was just kind of like, it's coming back to roost. Finally, after two years of just kind of fucking around a lot in really big games and falling behind... Uh, you can't just you can't just erase it all with uh, with supreme with, with supreme athleticism with 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 magic whatever you want to call it like uh, it it wasn't there and uh, you know the payback came and a lot of people enjoyed that and I get why you would and uh, again I throw up my arms and say hey 
won, <laughs> won it last year, and the future looks bright, but um, probably not probably not quite as smoothly down Dynasty Road as everybody had the Chiefs going now because. You know, I'm sure now a lot of people feel the Bucks could be the same way for at least two or three more years. Uh, what was your What was your biggest takeaway from the game last night? Um, just the the Chiefs. I, it's hard to say because I did think the Bucks were going to win. Uh, as I said, yeah. The remember what I said last week in why I picked Tampa to win. I didn't have any real great reason X's and O's wise, other than just I said. It's hard to win the NFL championship two years in a row. And watching the game, that was what I kept thinking was, you know, I was right about that. And not in this like, see, I was right about that. But just like one of those things where you say it and then later realize, wow, that's even truer than I realized it was when I said it, you know, like, because that's really what it boils down to. Um, Almost everyone picked Kansas City to win the game and they should have. They were 16 and two and Tampa Bay was a wild card team. Now, granted, they, you know, were on a winning streak. Mm -hmm. Uh, but still, the Chiefs only lost one game all year when they actually were trying to win. You know, one of their two losses was a, you know, a, a resting everybody sort of game. Yeah, they were the best team in the NFL, and they didn't just lose; they got their asses kicked. And you know, I don't know if anybody really saw that coming. But you can try and you know splice it up all these different ways and explain it with X's and O's and injuries. And obviously, the Chiefs' offensive line playing as badly as they did was kind of the main story. But I, I really think if you're trying to do, you know, how did that happen? it's hard to do this twice in a row. You know, when was the last time it happened? I don't even remember. Um, did, did New England have at least one back-to-back? Yeah, they did. Uh, 03-04 when they won, their, yeah, when they won their second and third under Brady. By, by, yeah, yeah and, I've last seen, time. and you know, I've seen Dallas win two in a row. I've seen San Francisco win two in a row. So it's not like it's never happened, um, but it doesn't happen often. Often, And even when it does happen, it's still hard. Um, and and uh, that was... I think the biggest thing is I looked at this Chiefs team and said, is this such a good team? Is this a, a dynasty type of team? Like those Cowboys, like those 49ers, those Patriots, where you say, we look back and go, yeah, they won it twice in a row. They were so good. There was a two-year period there. And, and the answer to me was no, I don't think they're that good. And if I was a Chiefs fan, um, I, I'd be, you know, you were saying earlier, you win one, then it obviously doesn't hurt as much when you lose the next year. Um, but I have a hard time buying that the Chiefs are a dynasty. And that this is, oh, we have plenty more chances. I know there's that's sort of, there's a thinking there because of Mahomes and how young he is and everything, but it's only going to get harder for him. So, uh, you know, I don't think Tampa Bay is going to repeat next year either. But again, they kind of came out of nowhere. It's, uh, I, I just think that's the biggest takeaway. It's really hard to win the NFL championship two years in a row. Yeah. And of course, when you get thrown into, you know, when you're in the, when you're in the fire, you're in the, whatever, the pot for, for, you're watching every game and you're watching how, Awesome and explosive and fun this offense is. I, I think the Chiefs are a likable team. Um, beyond, I mean, go beyond the really dark stuff of uh, you know the last few years of Tyree Kill, and uh, I mean, I'm talking off-field stuff. Tyree Kill and the the running back that I don't even remember now, Kareem Kareem Hunt. Yeah, Kareem Hunt, um, which they got rid of. And um, I, you know, I mean, there 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 are some things I think people could hate about the Chiefs, but in general, the personalities. Andy Reid's tough to not like. Patrick Mahomes is tough to not like. Travis Kelsey, okay, I can see how he could rub people the wrong way. Tyreek Hill, I totally get. It, but it, Tyron Matthew, though, I mean, who doesn't like that guy? Now, after last night, his whole thing with Brady and whatever, he kind of self imploded. Okay, maybe. 
But um, but it's when you're a fan of that team, and and it's really easy to like. And then it's you know again they do amazing things. Your quarterback does these amazing things. Then you just you just think that uh, yeah you feel a little bit invincible for a while. You also wonder how long it's going to last. And uh, yes, that was kind of a feeling of mortality last night. Is um, it's the moment you were always afraid was going to happen. By the way, I wasn't. Um, you know, I was. I was always a bit afraid that this would like they they can't come back and do this every time. They're always behind in these games. They can't come back and win it every time. And um, and they they didn't. And there was another team over there that uh, completely outcoached them. Um, they the, both the Bucks offense and defense were doing things that they had not really shown lately. Uh, Bruce Arians is Mister No Risk It No Biscuit. Throw it, throw it downfield, and um, they they didn't. They they just ran through short passes. Seemed to work. Uh, keep the ball out of Patrick Mahomes' hands. And on the other side, uh, they Todd Bowles just basically sagged a bunch of guys deep. They weren't going to let the Vikings win over the top. They completely took Tyreek Hill out of the game. Um, and the Chiefs weren't uh, disciplined enough to take what was given to them enough to, um, you know, to, to, to 10 play drive their way back into the game. They just kept trying to make up for all of it because they can, because they're the best big play team there is. And uh, it was never there. And um, so, yeah, I mean, there, there's there's chinks in the armor now. And uh, the, the, yes, and next year will not be nearly as easy to get back. I'm, you know, I'm sure, because a lot of people are going to probably try to pay attention to what the Bucks did. It did, uh, you can think of the Vikings, I, I thought of the Vikings in two ways uh, while watching this game. One, it felt like every Vikings Super Bowl, for those who were alive for them, this is, <laughs> a lot of times the Vikings just laid eggs. A lot of their Super Bowl, I think all four of their Super Bowl losses, none of them were very good. They just didn't play very well, and... Um, they, they didn't really seem to ever have a chance in the game. The other was this, the current Vikings, the last few years of the Vikings. You know, offensive line does matter. I think Patrick Mahomes could could have taken the, the Minnesota Vikings at least to the NFC Championship game because he's that good and he can erase that many offensive line deficiencies. But the Chiefs, as you probably know, and I think the, I think it starts with this, beyond getting completely outcoached, as I mentioned. They, I mean... Not having your two tackles matters. Having three different positions on the offensive line, not uh, not it, it completely different guys, um, making it a completely different unit. Yeah, that matters. Even Patrick Mahomes can't can't compensate for that. An extremely mobile, talented quarterback can't compensate for all that. And you know the the the. So when I'm thinking about the Vikings and all the conversations we've been having, yes, they can do better than Kirk Cousins because they just never have the offensive line to make it perfect for him to give him the time to do what he is capable of doing. But um, you still need to have an offensive line of some degree. Well, we saw that last night. I mean, it's but it's funny, too. I felt like it was pretty obvious watching the game what was going on, that Mahomes was running for his life and yeah. a- admirably doing so. I mean... I- I thought some of his most impressive throws of the night were incompletions just, you know, where he's running 40 yards backwards and chucks it across his body body and almost completes it, you know, or at least gets it in the same zip code as the receiver when almost nobody else would be able to do that. Um, Having said that, it's interesting to me how today I saw a lot of just, you know, reading through the usual tweets and stuff uh, in the, in sports Twitter uh, how many reporters out there are kind of pushing back at people in their mentions saying how it was Mahomes' fault? 
uh, that apparently there are a lot of people saying Mahomes played terrible or Mahomes got exposed or Todd Bowles, you know, fi- figured out how to beat Pat Mahomes. And what that tells me is just that Vikings fans aren't the only ones who are doing this, who are watching their their above average good quarterback do his best in the face of a terrible offensive line and then still being convinced it's the quarterback's fault. If you watched that game last night and felt like Mahomes was the problem, no. I, I don't I don't know what to tell you. But again, that's I feel like we're often having that same argument when it comes to Kirk Cousins and the Vikings and I'm sure many, many other quarterbacks out there too. I mean it's you know, the guy can only do so much. And, uh, you know, I don't think Mahomes played awesome last night. I mean, the stats certainly weren't great. And I'm sure there's, you know, some other things he could have done differently. I'm certainly, you know, not a tape eater or anything. But it was just pretty obvious that he didn't have a chance. And, uh, you know, there's just been so many other games watching the Vikings where I don't know if it was, you know, to the degree what we saw last night. But, you know, what you watch it and go, well, you know, Kirk Cousins can only do so much when he's mm-hmm. not getting any time to throw or they're blitzing the hell out of him, whatever. You know, as as you were just saying, you know, the offensive line matters regardless of who your quarterback is. Yeah, it's it's it's, uh, but it's I don't think it's all or nothing here. Like Brady doesn't have nearly the mobility that Patrick Mahomes does, and again, and he's one of the well, many people feel he's the best ever to to do this. You and I agree. You can call him greatest because of these titles. I I I, I assign plenty of weight to the ability to lead to get your teammates to buy in, uh, to change a culture. I buy all of that. That all that happened. They went from seven and nine. He wasn't the only piece they added, but I mean, he's the big piece they added. It's, uh, you know, it's quarterback means a lot, but uh, we we agree he's not the absolute best ever at um, everything that adds up to the playmaking ability of a quarterback. But what he does do is he he doesn't step on his own dick a lot. Like he, uh, and plus he, a lot of years with the Patriots uh, and last night with the Bucks, go to their offensive line and the Chiefs pass rush. He doesn't. He doesn't get touched. He has been blessed with really good offensive lines, but when he does get pressured, uh, he just never seems to make the big mistake. And he uh, he can. He's good at reading defenses before the play. He's good at finding uh, hot routes. He his forty three year old body is still able to make these tiny little moves. That doesn't take superb physical conditioning. Um, or, or athletic twitchiness to make just to uh, just to avoid disaster and somehow find a way to to, to scrape away a successful play, if not a big play. Uh, and so I think we could all agree Kirk Cousins probably has athletic ability more aligned with Tom Brady and doesn't have nearly the nearly those abilities to do those things. Or else we would probably have seen uh, more. I mean, there, you you just can't count very many Kirk Cousins big fourth quarter performances and throws against good teams in really big games. You can't. There are hardly any of them except for in New Orleans last year in the playoffs. So he does still he still does lack some of the things that you that you could have that doesn't take Patrick Mahomes' ability to avoid bad plays and and make something happen and elevate your team. Yeah, I agree. I mean, we talked about that after. I think the NFC championship game and how that's kind of the one thing that stands out about Brady is how he's able to compensate for some of those physical shortcomings. Just in, yeah. Get, he doesn't get sacked very much for a guy who can't move, you know? And yeah, I'm sure he's had good offensive lines around him for most of his career because anyone who goes into a season at this point in that guy's career with the quarterback knows that they, they have to protect him. But yeah, he's got obviously a, whether it's just intelligence or his, you know, pre-snap stuff or, or just his instincts or whatever. I mean, the guy's 
still playing at an MVP level at age 43 for a reason. Yeah. And that's a big part of it. You know, I, I think Kirk Cousins is a lot more athletic than Tom Brady. But, you know, obviously Brady's intangibles are worth a hell of a lot more than Cousins' tangibles and intangibles. Yeah, his and, and I like if Kirk Cousins had I we still have, we haven't seen it yet, but I don't I'm not so sure it's a guarantee like the Vikings will and I'm not talking about statistics are they can they be a top 5 offense, can they be a top 5 can they win enough games and the big ones to, uh even if they had a, a top 5 or top 10 offensive line for Kirk Cousins. I'm still not totally convinced Kirk Cousins is just the kind of quarterback that can Make the bet, biggest plays in the most important times, even if he did have that. But yes, of course, I'll concede that uh, that needs to get better. The same way, obviously, the Chiefs' offensive line needs to get a little bit better for Patrick Mahomes, who before last night was the great eraser of any any problems you might have on an offense. Um, by the way, is there do we do we want to expound at all on the fact that Clint Kubiak is uh, even though the Vikings haven't made it official, is going to become the new Vikings coordinator, or have we kind of? done this topic enough to where I mean I don't want to refer people back to old episodes but it's a good hire because it's content well I'll what do you think of the hire I'm okay with it yeah I mean um it was a good offense so having some continuity is a good thing it's not like it needs to be blown up and, and rebuilt um yeah the whiff of nepotism isn't awesome uh, but I do like the fact that they're getting a young guy in there, not to be ageist necessarily. Uh, but I, I just think after what the Vikings have have gone through the last few um, coordinators, and obviously the fact that Stefanski, you know, is the one out of that group who, you know, right now appears to be the most successful of them. I think that's a good enough move. You know, I, I, I didn't. I'm sure there's someone out there from an, outside the organization that could have or would have been great. But again, it's a really good offense. And, you know, they've been changing coordinators so much. I just think, you know, how many coordinators has Kirk Cousins had since he's been in there, you know? Well, they, they've and, had, and I think they've had seven coordinators in the last six years or six in the yeah, last yeah, seven. Yeah. And, and for Kirk, and it's one, a different one every year for Kirk. Yeah. Right. And it's going to be another new one. But so that's why, you know, I, I like the idea of having some semblance of continuity because again it was a very good offense it does not need to be reinvented sure fourth in yards 11th in scoring you know what me and what i have said if you could tweak it a little bit more just to utilize your passing game weapons that you do have a little bit more a little bit earlier in drives a little bit earlier in games uh to where you can really drive home dalvin cook and that running game late in games when you have the lead like the bucks did in the super bowl last night that would be the tweak you need. You don't need to overhaul the offense. I don't even. I think. I think a better, more mobile quarterback uh, would be good. I'm not. I'm not sure if anybody in this draft class that the Vikings could get would be that answer right away. And who was? Oh yeah, and Deshaun Watson. Yes, I'd move heaven and earth for him. Uh, and if you put him in that offense. Uh, and tweak it a little bit to his strengths as a mobile quarterback to erase those offensive line deficiencies, that's where I think the Vikings could really strike gold with their offense and be a much closer to Super Bowl contending team. But I know none of those things are going to happen. Kirk Cousins is probably going to be the quarterback. And uh, it's good. He doesn't need he doesn't need anything new on his plate. So, and they were pretty good last year. So, uh, you know, they can actually tweak and evolve a little bit. And and Mike Zimmer cannot bang his head against the wall so often to just run it in every obvious running situation. That'd be great. I think that would help. Um, okay. Anything uh, beyond the foot the play of the Super Bowl that uh, 
that got a rise out of you whatsoever uh, when it comes to ads, the halftime show, Tony Romo's wet stain, the streaker, Eric Church, NFL's hypocrisy on the, on all these uh, racial justice matters, any anything? I thought it was all pretty pretty basic. I didn't think anything was awesome. I didn't think anything sucked. Yeah. From the pregame to the halftime to the commercials to any of it. I kind of felt sorry for Tony Romo. Did you did you see the wet stain stuff on social media? No, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> so I thought he uh he just had a little uh you know, uh, in his he was wearing like gray trousers and I guess when he was on camera with Nance at some point in the game he uh, looked like he wet his pants. Yeah, just a tiny, just a tiny little dot, like a spot. Like he uh, probably had just taken a piss, drank of something, or yeah, okay. maybe something, maybe a droplet of water fell or something, or he had just taken a whiz and you know didn't shake her he, off. He didn't shake it. The, the, just the very last <laughs> one that happens to me all the time. I was kind of like, okay, fine. Hopefully Tony Romo normalizes this because I'm always worried somebody's going to see that. Although I would, I, though I did think to myself since that has happened to me, whether anybody's ever noticed it or not, is you didn't uh, is is wear, wear wear dark pants and you'll never have that what if you know you're gonna be on net, world television wear dark pants anyway uh, i'm sure tony Rome was okay i'm sure he slept okay last night even after he was made aware of his wet stain on international tv i'm, I'm guessing he'll be okay i think he'll be all right i thought he did a good job I mean, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Romo fan anyway, but yeah. I was a little bit worried that maybe he would, uh, you know, he tends to get a little over. Hey, 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 hey. <laughs> he tends to get a little overexcited at times. I thought he did a pretty good job of, I don't want to say dialing it down, but not getting too out of control. Do you get disappointed when, uh, by the way, are you just taking the dog out? or it? Uh... No, he, he just came downstairs and Arthur followed him down. And basically okay. whenever him and Arthur are in the same room together, it's... Yeah, it's a zoo. sounded like you were guys were trudging through a mine of some sort. Um, I have not moved. I'm sitting on my couch. Oh, okay, uh, so did, did, were you disappointed they didn't show the streaker? Yeah, I get why they don't, um, because you know they're not try they don't want people to get their five minutes of fame, and then it in theory discourages future uh, people from doing it. But come on, the game was boring as hell uh, because of social media. Now we know we're probably going to see it eventually anyway. Yeah, I kind of wish they would. Yeah, I just kind of think like um, everything you said. Plus, we, you know, life is hard, especially during the pandemic as it is for all of us. And that is a crappy game. Like, how many people are, are going to be encouraged to go do that? Because I think that's partly why they don't do it. We don't want to encourage other people to do it. Right? Why not? Because because something fun happens. Because so, like, <laughs> it's not like it happens so often that we expect it to happen all the time that it gets lame like a lot of super bowl commercials uh, you know it's, it's like it, it it you don't ex ever you don't it happens seldom enough that you don't ever expect it to happen so then when it does it's kind of fun it's kind of fun like it's how do you not have it when you think of the word streaker um how does a smile not come to your face um so yes i was disappointed now did you hear kevin harlan's call because everybody was ready to hear kevin harlan's call I intentionally avoided it. Oh wow! Oh my gosh! I have I have a kindred spirit here. Okay, uh, I was in, <laughs> I, I was intrigued only because I'm a play by play announcer, um, uh -huh. and I, I'm a past, I'm a, a recovering sports talk host to where that's audio gold for a sports talk show, um, and uh, naturally I uh, the two or three that I heard today of course had the audio, but um, other than that. Uh, I am. I can't wait to hear why you intentionally avoided the Kevin Harlan audio of the streaker. 
I mean, I don't have some big smoking gun reason. I just, I think Kevin Harlan is fine. I don't think he sucks by any means at all, but I also don't think he's like this awesome. Same with like, remember for a while, Gus Johnson was mm-hmm. like the, the god of announcing for a while, and now mm-hmm. I guess he's no longer the flavor of the month for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Um, I grew up on Kevin Harlan as the Timberwolves guy, you know, so I know yeah. him better than most people, I think, and I just think he's fine, whatever. And <laughs> when I, like, the, the apparently this is like a thing that he does, I guess, because there were people tweeting about it before his call actually had even yes. made it out. Like, oh, I can't wait to hear the Kevin Harlan. I was like, all right, if this has already become like a, a thing unto itself, then I don't want to hear it. Yeah, so well, it's, was... be, it's because there's a preseason game like three or four, five years ago, which was like the last time there was famously a streaker in an NFL game, and Kevin mm-hmm. Harlan had the radio call of it, and he's like, the guy is drunk, and there he goes across the 30. He's drunk. He just kept saying the guy is drunk. This time he kept yelling, the man has a bra. He's a bra. And now his pants are down. And, you know, be a man. Take off your bra and pull up your pants. And I was like, oh, God, okay. Um, he's a really talented announcer. Um, thank you for joining me in the very tiny club of people who admit it's not as he's not as awesome as everybody says he is. Well, and, and just that and that incident in itself, like big deal. OK, especially if, if, if it's like a routine now that makes it less funny. Yeah. Like I can see it being funny the first time if it was sort of a more organic sort of thing yeah. along those lines. Did you hear? Uh, Tyler Merriam's call of Matt Dentlinger not being able to get his shoe untied and tied at the Jacks game yes, this weekend. Yes, and that was that excellent. Was, yeah, that to me was funnier. It felt a little less contrived. I, I agree. And a little less over the top. Well, that's the problem that I have with Harlan. He's an immensely talented play-by-play announcer. Uh, don't deny he shouldn't be where he's at. A lot of people feel like he could and should be the like the Monday night football announcer. or he, and Sure, but he's over the top. He's just overly dramatic on every play that he calls. He's really good at it, but he overdoes it. And that's just me. That's just my taste. I'm just a slep in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, who does it from time to time. Too much for me. Too much. And so, yes, what I did like about Tyler, uh, the shoestring call, was exactly that. It was just kind of matter-of-fact doing play-by-play of a guy tying his shoe. And um, it was... Yes, it was very well done, which is a perfect transition, I guess, into the uh, into the the Super Bowl of South Dakota sports with the Jacks and the Yotes back to back, women and men. Um, I guess there there is I, one. Is there a big surprise that came out of the weekend? I guess that the women from SDSU got the sweep. I would think that's the big surprise, right? Yeah, I don't think it's like a a shocker by any means. But anyone who says they aren't a little surprised by it, I think, is lying. Um, you know. I said on this show last week that I thought USD was the slightly better team. Looks like I was wrong. Uh, but again, SDSU did have home court advantage for both games. Uh, USD should have won the second game. They choked. Um, you can give SDSU all the credit you want. You can't blow an eight-point lead in the last two minutes, give up a 13-0 run like that. I mean, that was a choke job by them. And and that happens. You know, I'm not saying, like, you know, it, it, it change, means that they're not as good a team or whatever. It's just, you know, they choked. Uh, credit to SDSU and credit especially, I think, to Aaron Johnston. I don't think I'm making some incendiary comment here and saying that he outcoached Don in that game. Um, the thing that I think is just the most impressive to me is that, you know, USD, as, as we've all kind of said, seems like they're just a deeper team, that they have more good players. SDSU has been, you know, Maya Selland has been so good, but those secondary players, Peyton Burkhart, Tyler Irwin, good players by all means, 
Uh, but it just seemed like they weren't as good as some of USD's secondary players. And, you know, maybe we were wrong about that. Uh, maybe Aaron Johnson's coaching is just that valuable. I'm not sure what it is. Maybe it's just the home court advantage. Maybe if they had played in Vermillion both games, the Coyotes would have won them both. I don't know. But the point is, SDSU is now going to be the number one seed in the conference tournament. They're probably going to run the table, win the Summit League regular season conference title going away. And now that they have, you know, pretty much it, it would be a shock if they lost another game. Uh, this year maybe I guess they could lose one in Fargo but either way with their wins against ranked teams in non-conference play and sweeping the season series from USD I think they're pretty damn close to a lock uh, for for an at-large bid in the NCAA tournament meaning you know if they lose to USD uh, in the Summit League tournament which seems like a decent possibility now because again we know how hard it is to beat them three times and they're gonna have to do that now but I think they've put enough hay in the barn that they're good Whereas USD, on the other hand, any hope that they had of having an at-large resume, I think, is gone. They didn't have a great resume to begin with because they didn't win those games in the preseason against ranked teams like the Jacks did. Uh, they're going to have to beat the Jacks at the arena or the Pentagon now. But again, if you're USD, I don't think this is necessarily any reason to panic because you go, okay, we had to go to their place twice. They didn't get to come have to come to our place. Um, you know, they should have won. Like I said, should have won that game on Saturday. Um, they've lost to him twice. You know, can the Jacks find a way to beat him three times? I mean, yeah, they can. Um, but it, it's certainly not an, this insurmountable task for the Coyotes. They just know now it's all going to come down to that conference tournament. They're not going to have that at-large resume to lean on as they have in the past. That now goes to SDSU. Mm, yeah, well, the in the conference tournament, they won't have that uh, swelling home court advantage that the Jacks usually do, even when they play the Yotes uh, in the Summit League tournament at the Denny. It's still usually, what, about 70-30. And, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, I think USD was the better team going in, right? And, this, and still the Jacks uh, played spectacularly, and the crowd was a big part of that. And it was kind of an, oh, no, here we go again for USD. And then last year, the Yotes were so good. They were so much better than everybody else, and the Jacks didn't have their best player, Maya Sellen. And it was just, uh, everything was a route and but but SDSU made even that a game too because they they just have it nailed down how to win in uh, that event in that arena with those fans uh, with that coach they just do um, and and USD was that good that they finally could overcome all of that and then so this year I'm already starting to wonder uh, how much not having a crowd there will affect the outcome if they meet each other again because as you've mentioned. Uh, it's hard to beat a team three times in one year. Plus, it feels like these teams are even, right? These feel like two very even teams. It would almost be like a law of averages thing. It almost was on Saturday before USD blew it. Yeah, I mean, it's again, I think we're all kind of looking at both teams a little bit differently after this weekend. Um, you know, the, the, like I said, I think the Jacks are better than, than I gave them credit for, than some other people gave them credit for. Maybe USD isn't quite as good. But again, if it had been Vermillion, we might be sitting here saying the opposite. Like, yeah, we knew USD was the better team. See, they won both games. It's really hard to say, and that probably goes to your point. They're probably just really, really evenly matched teams. Um, the question of how it's going to play out in the at the Pentagon, that's really tough to answer because, you know, both the Jacks and Coyotes have played there before. Uh, you know, so it's um, not like it's unfamiliar surroundings to them. Right. And then also you know, how much of a home court advantage is either team gaining or losing, you know, because obviously the Jacks draw better at the Premier Center than USD does. They've always had a greater presence, but it's not like it's 90-10, you know. Certainly the, the, the uh, gap has narrowed 
in the last few years, and especially on that women's side, because USD fans have rightly sensed in the last few years, like, hey, we got a chance to win this, or, or hey, we're the better team this year. We, we can go to the Premier Center and see our team be the ones to win. So the last couple of years, it, it was obviously this crazy, freakish, uh, freakishly entertaining environment, you know, with the crowd and everything. But being that it was kind of there for both sides, does that mean, you know, there's more or less of an advantage for either one of them? I don't know. I mean, I've always felt like, to some degree the idea that the Jacks have this huge advantage at the Premier Center and prior to that, the arena, was a little bit over overstated just because I think if you're Western Illinois or Oral Roberts or whoever it is, I think you're, you're more fired up to play in front of a hostile crowd than you are in front of no crowd, you know? I mean, if you're playing in a conference tournament where there's just nobody there, nobody cares, or, you know, it feels like basically a COVID season, you know, how, how hard is that? For, for players to get fired up and and I don't know maybe that takes away that advantage from the team that's usually at home but when you look at how many times the Jacks men have been upset or almost upset in that tournament you know yeah it's certainly that crowd didn't affect a terrible Western Illinois team a couple of years ago so so I don't know I mean we'll we'll see I just think like I said the biggest takeaway from this weekend is now if you're the Jacks you might not necessarily have to win that game Whereas if you're USD, that's your only chance of getting to the NCAA tournament. All right. So as the SDSU writer, I have to ask, I was listening to this game on Coyote Radio driving back on Saturday. I was driving back from my own game in Wayne, Nebraska for the University of Sioux Falls men. And uh, I was listening to Carter Wadeal, who always, like Tyler Merriam, like John Thayer, like Brad Peterson and Scotty uh, Haas, all of them, all those guys do a terrific job on the radio. Uh, very exciting finish. You mentioned USD blew it, no matter how great everybody wants to uh, point in, uh, point, no matter what greatness you want to sign to SDSU scoring with the last 13 points of the game or whatever it was. Um, Post game show, uh, Don Plitza White comes on and, uh, you know, she mentioned part of this game was Chloe Lamb's foul trouble. And on Twitter later on, I would see how many complaints there were from Yote fans. Uh, and one of them, there's a just a video demonstration of, oh, she was just standing straight up and she got called for the block. And Don mentioned, and she got as close as a, as a coach can go to. You know this as a reporter. You can kind of, you, you, you know code here when asked about officiating. And she just kind of says, those were some tough calls on Chloe Lamb. Those were some tough calls. Uh, we all know what that means. Um, so do, do, do you do you assign any value to uh, to, to that being a, a factor in the game that uh, some, some of the uh, some of the some of the foul calls on Chloe Lamb that uh, helped get the Jacks over the top? Um, not really. I mean, I did think one of those calls on Chloe was a really bad call, but you go into every game knowing there's going to be several questionable calls and even a few really bad calls. That's part of basketball, you know, and one of the reasons basketball will never be anywhere close to baseball and football on my list of favorite sports is because of how much the officials apparently impact the game. Uh, if, if it's really as big a deal as so many basketball fans, observers, coaches, players say it is, then that's a flaw in the sport. Mm. Uh, Cause I get really tired of it. I um, too. Uh, yeah. Anyone who's, you know, been a, a referee, covered a game, coach, whatever, um, and I'm not picking on either side. Uh, every time the Jackson Coyotes play, my Twitter mentions are a dumpster fire of both sides complaining about every call and saying how all the TV announcers are homers for the other team and all the refs are screwing their team but not the other team, and it's just exhausting. And it, it just, you know, again, you go into the game knowing that that's just a human element you're going to have to deal with. 
And, you know, no game I feel like has ever come down to, well, we lost because of that. You know, like I said, you have to you have to do some work to blow an eight point lead in the last two minutes, whether you get help from the officials or not. And uh, the other team has to do some pretty incredible things. And SDSU did some pretty incredible things down the stretch. It's go it's it's perfectly fine for Don or anyone else to say, like, I didn't like that call or I thought this call here was a bad call. Sure. There's bad calls every game. Mm-hmm. Um, but but implying that that was, you know, all oh, the refs cost us the game. I, I don't yep. have much appetite for that in any hey, circumstance. Notice how I didn't include the uh, the officiating in the discussion of the Super Bowl, the Chiefs losing by four touchdowns, like some right. Chiefs fans were trying to do for a lot of that last. There were some bad calls, but come on. Yeah. Um, okay, I'll I'll call out John Thayer and Zach Borg right now. They got pretty quiet in the second half <laughs> once they realized they no longer could use that as their. Ex- oh, it's thirty-one-nine now. The bad calls really don't matter anymore. Yeah. Yeah, I, I thought they were, uh, you know, like I said, there were a couple. I, I retweeted Kevin Seifert, who said something to the degree of, like, they're calling this way different than they were calling things in the championship games, a lot closer. But uh, and that that was true. Um, Stop hitting but, Buccaneer wide receivers before the ball gets to them. Sure. Stop and getting called for penalties. To say that it was a factor in the loss, I mean, okay. I mean, you got to react. You got to adjust. They got their ass kicked. Okay. Uh, when it comes to the uh, men. Jackson Yotes, uh, Saturday night. I didn't get to see Friday, but Saturday I watched most of it. Entertaining game. Uh, Yotes were in command after winning Friday night, and Jax looked awful that night and uh, looked like, wow, they're really just stepping on the SDSU's throat. Uh, Brad Newitt, Midco, said the key to this uh, Jax comeback, uh, especially from the night before as well, was the way uh, they used Charlie Easley to defend A.J. Plitzewhite. That's not the whole story. A.J. got like 20 points both nights. But um, what to you was the key, and how different do you now see these two teams after the way SDSU won on Saturday? Um, I don't know if I see either of them terribly differently. Um, I'd be, I'm a little troubled by SDSU's um, kind of general offensive laziness for much of the weekend. I mean, first night, Doug Wilson was really timid, and everyone else was just kind of like, well looks like Doug's not on his game tonight. Let's all just stand outside and shoot 30 footers. And then after the game, when I suggested that I was kind of waiting for some pushback from Hendo or, or Baylor Shireman, who was in the post game. Pre- and they were both like, yeah, you're right. We totally did that. And I'm kind of thinking, well, then why didn't you stop doing that? If you knew it was going on, you know, why didn't uh, Hendo call a timeout or why didn't, you know, and, and you know, I don't know. There's probably reasons it's probably more complicated than that. Uh, but that was certainly a thing that they did that night. And it carried over into Saturday for a little bit. Um, USD, I think, you know, I certainly didn't expect them to sweep and they threatened to, uh, I said before the weekend, I thought they were both going to be splits. I think USD just, you know, reaffirmed that they're a good team or to anyone who doubted them, didn't think they're a good team, uh, proved them wrong. You know, they're, they're for real. They're here to stay. And obviously, you know, they still have to play two games against North Dakota state and two games against Oral Roberts. Uh, but both of those, all four of those games are going to be at home. So right now, um, the road to the conference championship goes through Vermillion. Yeah, and uh, and yet I don't I, well I don't know if number one seed means any more or any less again in a in a tournament without any crowds, but we can right. Um, it hasn't know. it hasn't meant meant a whole lot anyway over yeah. the years. Yeah, very true. Um, how? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, so are there any alarm bells though? Is that the alarm bell for the SDSU men that, or do you think they'll get that, that situation resolved where they won't be just I mean, chucking it up all the time? They have the most talent in the league. So yeah. I don't think it's, it's a huge issue. I mean, if they get the four seed or something, you know, that makes the road 
a little more difficult for them in the conference tournament. Um, but it's going to be tough either way because there's as much parity this year as there's been. They're not going to have the home crowd. Whether that helps them, hurts them, doesn't affect it, whatever. Um, I, I don't think there's any reason to panic, really. Um, they, just, they just didn't play very well on Friday. And on Saturday, it carried over for a while, but they got their shit together. And, you know, I think coming out of that with the split. The thing is now they got to be able to win a game in Fargo. they got to be able to win a game in Tulsa. Maybe try and get a, you know, a split in, or, a, I mean, a sweep in one of those places. Hope to get three out of four in those two road trips. Uh, but again, even if they don't, it's not like it's the end of the world. This is all coming down to the conference tournament, and we've seen on the men's side more than any, you can easily win that tournament as a three, four, five seed, whatever. Yeah, by the way, is, uh, this is a common exercise we do here in mid-major territory, but is Stanley Amude, is that a guy you feel like could do some damage in the Big Ten or the Big 12? Yeah, yeah, I think so. In, I thought you were going to say in the NBA, and I was like, I, I don't know. But Big Ten, Big 12, yeah, certainly. I mean, he's got a nice, um, diverse set of skills. He's a really good player offensively and defensively. Uh, are you uh, covering, the, forgive me, are the, the Jacks are away this weekend, right? So are you going to cover some Augustan and USF? Yeah, I think I'm going to go to the, the Friday women's game because I think that's the one at the Pentagon. I think that's the plan. Yeah, well, the, both the women are at the Pentagon. Both of the men are at the Stewart Center. So Right, then, yeah, Friday at the Pentagon. I'll be at that one. Yeah, because the women are kind of up there battling for first place. Uh, have, have you been keeping tabs much on any of those four programs? Yeah, I mean, every week I kind of write a roundup for the paper just to keep everyone abreast of what's going on in the NSIC and uh, Augie's men are underachieving this year. They're four and five. Yeah. I and, believe uh, they were picked you know, to win the South, right? Yeah. Yeah. They've definitely, I don't know what their issue is. I haven't been paying close enough attention to break them down or anything, yeah. but I certainly expect them to be better than that. USF's had a ton of games canceled, so it's been hard to judge them. They've been kind of, you know, just this past weekend, they beat Wayne state on Friday and then, lost by 20 on Saturday so right the week before that they lost by 31 to Mankato yeah, and then they and then they came back and won by 13 won the, next, night. the yeah. next day so I think that that's a team that um same guys same starting five almost the exact same starting five from last year's team that won it all and they did it with not much of a prolific offense or big time score just you know gritty defense rebounding kind of suffocate the will of your opponent uh figure out how to win close games down the stretch with all those second chance and second effort things and but if they fall behind like they did fr uh the first night in Mankato and the and the second day in Wayne they're not built to right. they're not right. built to come back so that'll be it'll be interesting to see how far they can go with that it is it is it is reasonably fun to watch and uh i don't know do you, do you get the do you get the same uh excitement or and we're almost done anticipation over augustana and usf as you used to when you covered the teams intimately um i mean i would but this year it's hard to because there's no fans and that's what makes that rivalry so fun mm. i mean it's the same with usc and sdsu but at augie and usf it's a little more intimate i think especially at the stewart center because the crowd is you know literally right on top of the court yes i mean those are those are fun games and that rivalry means i don't want to say it means more than the usd sdsu rivalry that would not be true uh but it's it's different you know usd and sdsu have been attached at the hip for 100 years uh augie and usf you know weren't even in the same classification for so long so it was much more of a big brother little brother thing and you know usf feeling disrespected and augie feeling superior and usf having to kind of you know, claw their way into, you know, the same conversation as them. And, and, you know, now they beat them almost every year in football. They're very competitive with them in basketball and other sports. 
it's just like I said, it's just a different kind of rivalry, uh, but in a good way. Um, I've been there since since it started when USF finally went Division Two, and uh, it was always one of my favorite weekends of the year. And I'm looking forward to being there Friday. I wish they were all four in the same place and I could see all of them. Uh, and again, I wish there were fans there because that one is one where they definitely make an impact and it's fun for those kids in a way that none of the other games are. Um, so, you know, and, and again, with, and the other thing too is with Augie trying to go division one, um, that rivalry is going to end at some point, assuming they're successful in doing that. So, you know, on, on some level, our, our days are kind of numbered. There's only going to be so many more of these. Right. Well, uh, yeah, we don't know exactly how many, and uh, a little wrench was thrown in the whole thing with not getting into the Summit League this past summer. It doesn't mean it won't happen again. Maybe that's something we can bring up next week and where that might be headed for Augustana. It could be headed in some d- different and weird directions. So The whack. They're going to the whack. That's the rumor. Th- that's what I meant. Yes. Uh, do you believe it? Eh, I mean, I believe there's conversations being had because they got to do something, uh, you know, but, but yeah. I don't, you know, even if they did, it would be temporary. It would be like... When UND went to the Big Sky, eh, not, that's not a great example because I think UND thought the Big Sky could maybe work. Yeah, I think it would just be, you know, let's do this until the Summit loses another member and yeah. finally needs us or whatever. But, you know, I do think, look at just how pathetic Omaha's program is right now. And uh, they're not pathetic in absolutely everything, but their basketball teams are both terrible. Most of their other teams aren't very good. And how many SESU, USD fans are like, well, we'll take Omaha, but not Augustana because we're like – Augustana would be a better fit for the Summit League right now than Omaha is after, what, four, five, six years being in the league. Yeah. Um, th- they should be in that conference, and I think someday they will. But if they have to, you know, do some purgatory time somewhere else, then then that's what they'll Is that what do. you feel that this is from the Summit League? Is making those... A little Yeah. A little bit. I'm also, I, I, I genuinely think USD and SDSU people have some concerns, and they're genuine. Like, that, that the pie is already being split amongst two schools, Augie comes in, it's being split among three. I mean, now my argument, counter argument to that is they're already, you're already competing with them for scholarship dollars and all these other things, sponsorships, you know, whatever it is that doesn't necessarily go away or, you know, or keeping them division two doesn't mean you don't have to compete with them for things. Uh, So I I think there, there are, there are concerns that are legitimate. There are concerns that are overblown. There are concerns that are flat out wrong and made up. And I think eventually they're going to be in the same conference with them. But yeah, I think they're going to make them make them bide their time. And, you know, however it ends up happening, I think it's going to happen. All right. Zim, thank you. We'll talk again next week. All right, John. See ya. Matt Zimmer. Uh, reminder, head on down to the Gateway and get takeout or just go there and enjoy their food whatever you want to do however you feel it's the pandemic it's still going on believe it or not it's not over yet most of us haven't been vaccinated some of us like zim and i him more than me don't really go out much to restaurants and trust me some restaurants like the gateway have suffered from it but again a reminder for those of you who are they're open they're as you know their food is awesome their service is awesome last night as a chief's bar it probably wasn't that awesome, but uh, they, like me, feeling the satisfaction or the, I guess, the consolation of, uh, you know, having won the Super Bowl the year before. We'll always have that. Uh, but that place will always have uh, a lot of reasons for you to at least get takeout and support a local business during these still very difficult times. And hopefully we are 
we are weaseling our way out of sooner than later because when that has happened, Zimmer and I will be back there in person doing these shows together at the Gateway the way it was meant to be. Uh, so, with that said, uh, bye bye. Why are you laughing? That was a terrible outro. Fuck you. Because <laughs> you know how round drinks? Yes. Yeah.